and welcome to the Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. This is episode number 12, and I just wanted to take a moment to say how gratified the RSPA team is with the response uh, to our podcast. Downloads are ahead of where we expected, YouTube views, we're getting a lot of social media love, we're having a lot of people trying to shoehorn their way into being a guest, which we appreciate as well. It shows that they value it. And uh, earlier today, I actually uh, had a conversation with a prospective uh, member, and she found the RSPA through this podcast and said, the advice that the guests are providing has inspired her to improve her business. So again, thank you everybody for the support and thank you everybody for spreading the word. And as John Kirk, the RSPA CEO says, the best is yet to come. So thank you so far and uh, more to come in the future. So today on the podcast, we'll be talking about company culture and leadership transitions inside a reseller organization with two special guests. First, Blake Gillum is the general manager of DCR, a reseller in Nashville. He started as DCR's Director of Marketing in 2010 before being named GM three years ago. Blake is active in the RSPA as a member of the RSPA Marketing Committee. Hey, Blake, great to talk with you today. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. And our second guest is also a reseller, but he doesn't compete with Blake because he's about 4,000 miles away. Thomas Greenman is the sales manager for Skirla's POS Solutions in Anchorage, Alaska. Thomas started as service manager at Skirla's in 2008 became sales manager three years ago, and is part of a leadership team that owner Lynn Skirla Perkins is delegating the business to. And if Lynn's name sounds familiar, it's because she was a longtime RSPA board member and also served as board chair. Hey, welcome, Thomas. How are you today? Great. Um, The weather's fine. (laughs) Good. Well, it's all relative where it's fine, you know, uh, where we are. I'm guessing uh, if Blake was experiencing the weather that you are in Alaska, and I am here with winter snow warnings in Erie, Pennsylvania, he would not call it fine. It'd be more paralysis. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's rock and roll. And so before we talk leadership transitions and about culture, I'm hoping that each of you can give our audience an overview of your organization. So Blake, first, if you can talk about, about how many employees you have, vertical markets you serve, regions you serve, any details that would give uh, our listeners and our viewers a clear picture of what DCR is all about. So we're based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, We've been in business since 1961, and it all really began on our founder's kitchen table, actually selling and repairing mechanical cash registers. So we've seen the evolution from mechanical to electronic to machine-based to now cloud-based and everything in between. Uh, We've grown into a company with 46 employees, and we serve locations all across the Southeast. Uh, We primarily serve the retail, grocery, fuel, and hospitality verticals, and uh, have partnered with uh, many vendors who uh, we've had long-term relationships with. Got it. Great. Thank you. Uh, Thomas, can you talk about Skirlis? Can you give us the breakdown there? Yeah, so very similar to to Blake's story. Uh, We've been in business since 1976. Um, We've been focused really exclusively on Alaska. Uh, we don't really venture out of our territory. Uh, Alaska is kind of odd and unusual in that it's a huge state, but uh, population-wise, we're pretty small. Um, so, comparatively speaking, we're seven full-time employees, uh, but we have strategic partnerships with uh, other companies that uh, function as our help desk for some of our products. And so, most of our vertical markets are really restaurants and hospitality, which is big for um, you know the tourist. Uh, industry that we have here, which is probably one of the bigger ones out there, uh, grocery and then liquor stores. Got it. And I have to ask you, like, I can kind of assume what Blake does from a regional coverage standpoint. What what does Skirlas do? Like, how far do you go and uh, how, how long are, are the trips that you have to take? And I'm just curious uh, if you can share that with our audience. Well, I'm not sure if I can do this on camera, but most Alaskans will give you this. Um, now, let me see if I can get it. So this is really supposed to be in Alaska, um, the Aleutians, rather Aleutians and Juneau, that type of area. We cover the entire state. Um, so it's not uncommon for us to have somebody to fly out um, over the whole course of a day or maybe a 
several days to get to some remote village to put in a grocery system, um, or it could just be downtown Anchorage where we go in and put uh, one of the latest, greatest point of sale. So we kind of have to adapt and, and really kind of find solutions that are made for our customers because some of our customers are pretty unique. Got it. I bet. And for those of you who are only listening to this on the podcast, Blake was holding out his left hand, his pointing his thumb and his finger down, and that is the shape, uh, more or less, uh, of Alaska there. So, yeah, you're the opposite of a reseller who I knew in Manhattan where somebody asked him a question, do you charge for drive time? He's like, all of my, uh, you know, customers are in a 12-block radius. Like, we don't drive. We walk. You know, we take the subway. So, radically different, uh, radically different businesses. And so, uh, very much different challenges and different uh, cultures. And so, uh, could each of you describe your company culture and paint a picture for our audience in terms of, like, what words best describe your organization? What are some of the actions your team takes to bring that culture to life? Like, if you can take this one uh, first again, it'd be great. Well, so we have 46 employees, so we're not big, but we're not small either. And so uh, our company culture is kind of like a Picasso painting. So we've got a lot of unique elements, but you put them all together and somehow you get something really great. And uh, so we try to encourage each of our departments to kind of have their own subculture. So you have some that are more the locker room banter where they'll, uh, you know, if they poke at you, it means they like you. Uh, others are more laid back, you know, they want to talk about movies, you know, the most heated it gets is, you know, when somebody brings up politics and, um, but no matter what department you're meant our people are in, uh, we have an overall company culture that really focuses on three primary things and that's teamwork, trust, and the customer. And so we try to foster uh, a, a lot, a lot, a lot of teamwork because it's critical. We have a lot of 20, 30, 40 year employees here that work with us and that's what they've always known. You know, we, we work as a team. Uh, no one's too busy to help anybody else. Um, it's the, no job or duty is uh, below anybody. Um, you know, we try to, we win together, we lose together. And I think a lot of that is, uh, is built on the trust that we've, we try to foster. Um, and we try to discourage micromanagement. Uh, that's a big piece. If you can't trust members of your team to get the job done, you may have the wrong people on your team. And uh, third is the customer. Uh, that's that's the lifeblood of any bar. I mean, we try to give every one of our customers the white glove treatment. Uh, we really try to enforce the golden rule and that's treat others like you wanna be treated. And uh, that's, that's made us successful. Got it, thank you for that. And if I can follow up on the trust and, and have you drill down on that a little bit. Uh, one thing that I've seen folks do is you talk about trust and you don't want to micromanage, but you also don't want to do what I've called ignorant empowerment. I'm going to trust you to do this even though you're not trained. Good luck. Go get them. Can you talk about how you build up uh, some of your people in order to make sure that you do trust them? What things do you do to make sure that you train them or what kind of you know support and, and systems do you, do you give them? I'm just curious from that standpoint. So we are... We're blessed enough not to have a huge churn rate here. So, you know, as far as really rigid, formal, standardized training programs, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of that in place. But what we do have is a very strong mentorship program. And that's how we like to get people trained. That's how we want to build the trust. You know, we're a family owned business and uh, we, we employ many families here. I mean, multiple members of the same family have come come to work with us and work to, with us to this day. And so we really try to be as close to a team or, and be as close to family as you can be without being related. And part of that's like a family teaches one another. It's, it's you don't have a formal, you know, you're gonna learn this on this day, this and this. No, we, we team you up with someone who's gonna mentor you, take you through the process. And that, that's how we get people up and running. Got it. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, Thomas, can you share with us, talk about the Skrillas organization? What words would you to describe it? What are some of the things you do to bring that culture to life? Well, you know, what Blake was saying, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, I would echo a lot of the same type of comments. You know, obviously our organization is quite a bit smaller, but um, very much that camaraderie or that teamwork. Um, so we, we are a family run business. It's kind of weird. Uh, or actually, I think it's probably a good thing that most resellers are kind of in this kind of space. Um, but Lynn's father and uh, mother started this business back in 76. She's obviously 
still a part of the team for us. But uh, my wife recently started working with us as our office manager. And um, yeah, as she starts to transition out of the business, um, I want to bring in more of my family. But I really feel that family and teamwork is kind of a, it, it's something that really is kind of at our core values. Now, family isn't a, one of our true core values, but I kind of feel like, you know, the teamwork that we have and the longevity of the employees we have, um, it really does have a family type of feel. But um, we're also really embracing change. Um, so Lynn's father, John, back in the day, he would say that there's nothing more permanent than change. And so we've seen a fair share of that in the last 10 years. It's been crazy. Um, so we try to adapt that or try to embrace that and try to adapt and move forward with it. Um, but we're also leveraging our contacts in RSPA, Jim, uh, and the rest of its members. And we try to bring more of that knowledge into our organization. But um, I think probably one of the things that really kind of defines us beyond all the typical business talk is fun. Um, fun is actually one of our core values. Um, so we like to work hard, but we want to temper it by keeping each other kind of entertained. It's the things that, uh, you know, the POS, the POS world is really kind of a dull one. Um, but, you know, working here, it's never dull. We try to make it entertaining. And I, ultimately, I think that uh, the family aspect and, and the fun is really kind of what keeps us refreshed and engaged, energized, rather, in moving forward with all these changes and whatnot. It's, um, it's really kind of a big symbiotic circle of, of culture um, that we've got here, uh, basically. Got it. And, and building on that fun, I saw on your website, it says, hey, if you want to stop by and visit us, here's our address. And even better, join us for our barbecue potluck uh, on the last Friday of every month. And so I guess, can you share us some, uh, with us some details about that, about why you have a barbecue potluck lunch and you're opening it up to, to anybody and everybody? Yeah, um, so it was interesting. So at our old office, um, we had a, one of our bigger customers that was next door to us, and they've got something called First Friday. And I think that's like where it's like beer and pizza and that type of thing. And I was like, you know, we should do something like that. Why don't we just call it Last Friday? And um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm originally from the South. I'm from Gulf Coast of Florida, Alabama, and uh, cooking out, grilling is kind of my deal. And so I started doing that. We got us a little portable grill at first. Now we've got slightly bigger one, but um, we try to do it as much as possible. Obviously in the wintertime when it's like negative temperatures, we're probably not too keen on doing that. But um, but yeah, we do that. We invite our customers over. Uh, honestly, most of our customers are too busy during lunchtime because a lot of them are restaurants. They're, they're making their own food, but um, it is fun whenever they show up. Um, although it can be a little bit intimidating because you've got professional cooks that show up and it's like, hey, I, I grilled a burger. But usually they're they're really uh, they're really into it. You know, it's like, hey, this is this is not bad. This is pretty cool. Um, Very nice. Well, thanks both of you for for sharing that. And so now I wanted to establish the culture first, so folks knew like what was the leadership transition aiming towards. And so Blake, you know, we talked at the outset. You moved into that GM role about three years ago. Can you share that journey with us? Like, was it methodical and organized, or was it more urgent? ad hoc. Uh, if you can describe that for us, that'd be great. So my journey was actually very, very methodical. So it was planned out. We worked on it for a couple of years before we even started down this path. So we kind of did it in a three-step process where there was the uh, kind of the prepping, the grooming, if you will, uh, the communication, uh, where we actually started getting the message out that this was going to happen, and then the actual transition. And uh, during the prepping phase, we focused primarily on two parts of the job. You know, you have the company standards, policies, procedures, processes, financials. Um, and then the other part, which is equally as important, is the people. And so um, for two years prior, I followed Jim and, you know, he mentored me and uh, tried to learn everything I could about how the gears turn and how to keep them turning. Uh, and that's the business side, but the other side was the people. And at our company, we try to make things as organic as possible. Uh, a big believer that people work better for people they respect and trust, and not so much just because of a position of authority. And uh, that's why we really focused on the next piece, which was the communication. Uh, while I'm going through uh, all this learning and trying to pick up, uh, you know, 
learn all the processes, procedures. This is how we do this. This is why we do this. This is how we look at the finance. This is where we want to be. Uh, we tried to make sure that we were letting people kind of see this happen. And so the nonverbal communication was really, really important. You know, so we started off with little things like, uh, you know, I was becoming more involved in the insurance, uh, HR, then move on to some payroll. And then as you know, time passed, moved on to vendor negotiations, employee reviews, financials, policy setting. Uh, people start to notice that. And uh, if done right, it isn't overwhelming. And so when we officially announced the transition at one of our company meetings, the team was like, well, that, that, that makes sense. He's already doing a lot of that stuff, but this is gonna be okay. Uh, actually, one of the biggest concerns I heard was that I was going to stop doing some of the events that people had grown to love around here. So that's like uh, Thomas was saying, you know, the cookouts, the golf tournaments, the big Christmas party. And I'll admit, Jim, my the former GM, he can plan an event like no one else. I'm admittedly horrible at this, but uh, I am proud to say that we still have all the events in place. And uh, although he is better, we 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 still got those going. Uh, and then the transition came, and you know that day, bam, it's yours. Don't mess up. And you know, so you feel a little bit of pressure. But uh, I was luckily I have the mentorship of the two owners, uh, Jim. We didn't just you know, one day he's gone. Uh, we slowly tapered down to part time after the transition. And frankly, you know, we have a fantastic team here. So I've got a whole great group of people who I work with. Um, the next step, I tried to work with our management team, trying to learn their dislikes, likes, challenges. How do they work together? Um, the best advice I ever got was don't change anything that doesn't absolutely require changing in the first 90 days. It's a trap a lot of leadership I think gets caught in. Uh, change for change sake isn't typically beneficial. So my advice would be don't try to make things your way. The moment a lot of people like to come in, put their stamp on it, because I'm, you know, I'm leaving this thing now. And I mm -hmm. think people sniff that out real quick and that will make your journey much more difficult than it needs to be. And, and it seems like a key takeaway from what you just talked about is engage in the activities first, and then it becomes very natural when the communication happens, as opposed to, we have anointed Blake to do this. And people are like, why Blake? What, he doesn't know anything about this. But it seems like laying that groundwork of being involved in everything, people would say, well, yeah, because he's already doing that, and he seems to be doing it pretty well. Am I understanding that correctly? Like, that was a key process for, for making this uh, transition smooth. That's precisely it. And, you know, in the meantime, what you're doing is not only demonstrating to them that you are uh, capable of doing the job, but they get used to working with you and you can build a relationship with each individual person. And, you know, again, it comes back to change. It, it scares people. And so by the time we actually made the transition, uh, nothing was happening that they weren't already used to happening at that point. And we've tried to. Uh, follow that same process, whether we're moving someone into a uh, department head role or any other role, even from level one to level two. Let's, let's, let's start acting the way we want to ultimately be. And that's, uh, that's what we did. That gentleman I used to work for, he would say erratic movement is bad. Right, like so you just think about that. Erratic movement is bad, so don't do something that's erratic. If you can map it out and plan it out, and it seems more seamless, uh, that you know people accept that change a lot more than they would otherwise. So, well, thank you for that. I'm glad to, I didn't know of your methodical process, but Thomas, I know that your transition definitely is methodical because I've worked with uh, Lynn Skrilla for years and talked to her about the systems. I know that your team established so the company runs in a coordinated fashion. She and I have talked about best practices or conducted strategy sessions. And whenever we do that, she makes sure to have you and Jesse Dyson, one of your teammates who's been with Skirless for 25 years, she makes sure that you're in the room for that. So I know it's methodical. Can you share with us details of your transition, how it started, how it proceeded? And you're in the middle of it uh, right now. If you can share that detail with us, that'd be great. Yeah, so it, it started a while back. Um, 
you know, Lynn uh, got a lot of information from RSPA about um, ownership thinking. Um, we kind of started down that trail in um, a book called Traction, which I'm sure will probably come up again. But um, we started in, in that process of, of really trying to restructure the business in a lot of ways, just kind of, I guess, like opening up a puzzle box. It's like, you know, you've got the pieces there, but where are the best places to place these? So we really started looking at our policies and procedures and, and finding a place for everything that we did. And then looking at people and, you know, what they did and what we needed them to do. Um, so really just kind of focused on the business itself. Um, and really during that whole process, um, you know, we tried to implement these procedures as we were working along with it. But, um, you know, I, I've done so much stuff here at Skrillas. I've worn so many hats. Um, now I'm really kind of more focused on sales and management. But um, I, I think probably the biggest thing that helped me and a lot of my uh, – transition is, is a lot of stuff that probably I could echo what Blake said, but um, was really kind of getting into Lynn's mind, if, if you will, and to really work with her on a regular basis and do a lot of the things that she did. And, you know, realistic, a lot of it just got passed to me. Um, it was just like, here you go. <laughs> Let's see what you would do with this. And then after that, oh, great. Well, I'm going to give you something else. And so it was that gradual progression of her letting go of the vine and, and putting those things uh, in my ball court and just getting it done. But um, now it's, you know, it's, most of her problems are my problems. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I really have this mentality of like, I already know what I should do. Um, but a lot of times I'll ask myself, what would Lynn do? I'm like, okay, this is what she'd tell me. It's like, the, like she's in my head now. She's, there's a little mm -hmm. voice that's like, okay, no, you need to do it this way. You're right. You know, it's almost like I'm having a little mini conversation, uh, but uh, she'd probably be embarrassed to hear me say that, but, no, but yeah. You can't short that. That's what it sounds like. Like you wouldn't pick that up in a one hour meeting with her or just a couple of weeks. You've really got to be bolted no. at the hip to really understand. And she has to take the time to explain the why behind it. Again, I feel like I'm filling in blanks or maybe I'm, I'm guessing, but it, does it sound like, is that what you did? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as, as a small company, you know, seven of us, um, you know, more or less a small office, you know, we're here at least 40 hours a week. Um, we're talking after hours, on the weekends, um, you know, it doesn't really stop. Um, really kind of being more in the ownership realm is, is one of those things where um, it's, you don't have the luxury of stopping at five o'clock. <laughs> it just, you know, it keeps going. And with all the the change that goes on in the, in the industry and then, you know, customer issues and just things that organically will pop up into a business. Um, there's a whole lot more time that, you know, you dedicate towards the business. And I've never been one to shy away from, from time um, as far as being on and off the clock. It doesn't matter to me. You know, it's just like, yeah. this is our ship. I have to do what I have to do. Um, if it's two o'clock in the morning, it is what it is. You know, it's that type of deal. Um, so yeah. a big shift from, you know, being an on-the-clock employee to more salary and part of the team, you know, ownership-wise. And did you have a different dynamic from Blake where he talked about his company, you know, 40, 50 people, he had to intentionally get involved in this, get involved in this, see how those things are. But my guess would be with seven employees, you were already wearing a lot of hats. I think you used that phrase earlier. Is that kind of a difference in the transition where you didn't exactly have to be introduced into something because naturally you were bumping up against it uh, with your background and with the size of the company. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, a, a lot of what I was doing was, it was kind of already, uh, I was already mostly doing a lot of things that she was kind of trying to get me acclimated to. It's just more now with my the transition being further along, um, I don't really have to talk to her or converse with her so much about what's going on. It's just like, it's done before I was doing these things. And I'm having these conversations like, you know, well, I feel we should do it this way or, or that way. We're just trying to improve the process and, and maybe trying to course correct where I thought I was at, or maybe I just wasn't quite familiar with it. Um, you know, there's a lot of me second guessing myself um, in a lot of areas, but, um, I, I think one of the things that we excel at is just jumping in and getting it done. Um, so sure, you're going to make some mistakes along the way, but for me, and I, it makes me sound kind of dumb, but um, 
you know, the mistakes that I make are the one, the, the best lessons I could ever have. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, you could tell me about that, but once I experience it and I do something wrong, it's like, I'll never forget that. Um, Got it. So I just jump into so, it and do it. Before we take a commercial break, quick last question for each of you. First, Blake, was there a timetable set for when you were going to transition to the GM role, or was it as quickly as possible? And then, Thomas, you know, if you could follow up, is there a timetable for yours as well? So, Blake, first, please. So, once we kind of got some of the prep work done, we did set a timetable to it and had a hard date. We set that date probably about, I would say, a year out. So, we knew what, what direction we were heading, and once we figured out what pace we were moving, uh, then we had a an actual timetable for that set up. Okay, so there was a date method. Thomas, is there a date for uh, for you and for Lynn to transition out? Yeah, basically, um, our physical year, um, three years from now, essentially. Uh, not from the, today's date, but from this physical year. Um, we've been talking about it every year for several years. We uh, We meet strategically twice a year um, as a group and go over a one, three, and 10-year plan. So it's always been on the radar, but you know, this year is really kind of the first year that we had like the definitive, this is the end date for when Lynn is going to effectively take, let go of the vine 100%. Um, yeah. you know, and we kind of joke a lot, and I'm like, you're never really going to let go of the vine 100%. Um, yeah, and, and realistically, we miss her a lot. Um, not just from a business perspective, but just from, you know, the bond that we have with each other. You know, it's you can't really say goodbye to a family member. Um, so, yeah, she's going to transition out of the business, but, um, you know, even like her family, her parents are still not really involved in the business, but they're, it's still just, they're still a part of the team at heart, really. Yeah. Got it. Very nice. Well, thank you for those details. And let's pause here for a moment to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSPA membership has never been more valuable or affordable. The RSPA recently expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, sales coach, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSPA membership which a reseller starts at $250 a year, that is 68 cents a day for these high value services. Without an RSP membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel, or you'll end up going it alone during these turbulent times in our industry. If anybody wants to debate me that these aren't turbulent times, I'm happy to have that conversation. Uh, accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, thank you to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, ScantSource, and Shift4 Payments. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. And finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2020, August 2nd through 5th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Retail Now is where the industry meets. And I have been lobbying for years uh, that we should have an Inspire Winter Conference up in Alaska. But I think, Thomas, it'd be you and me uh, might be the only ones up there just from transportation and from a, a time of year standpoint. So maybe we'll work on Blake and get him uh, to be able to show up as well. Um, so my next question, and Blake, I'm uh, hoping you can take this one first. So back when I worked for a private uh, company, I was trained systems and written procedures allow you to grow yet keep work quality and customer satisfaction high. Can you talk about, you know, how would your transition, how important were the systems to your transition? Which systems were the most important to your organization? I guess as an aside, what would you recommend to resellers? Systems that they need to have installed in their organization to have an orderly transition. So if you can go first and then, uh, then Thomas, please. So we have systems for almost everything. And uh, I can tell you that that definitely helped make my transition a lot smoother because uh, the systems were tried and true. Uh, people knew them. Uh, I didn't have to create the wheel and I didn't try to recreate it either. Um, uh, the systems that I believe are very, very important are, of course, your uh, customer focused systems. Uh, you know, know how you do system implementations. What are your support guidelines? What are your dispute resolution you know, procedures? 
Um, also from an admin, make sure, you know, how's your paperwork flow? You know, have, have systems in place for almost every aspect of your business. Get people used to them. They don't have to be complex, but just have something written down that everybody understands. And it makes it so much easier than, uh, you know, Bill does it his way, Jan does it her way, and now you come in and you want to figure out how it's done. Well, there's, there's, there's no uniformity there. And so I would recommend that getting any key aspect of your business, um, get some written systems in place. They don't have to be complex, but just get everybody on the same page. And um, it's important. It's really important. So let me, play, let me play devil's advocate with you. I'm a small reseller. I don't have time for that. And also, Blake, you said about trust, and I like trusting employees. Why should I give them a recipe and a checklist to do their job? Sounds like you don't trust them. Uh, I would say unless you want that person and they also want to be doing that same job when they're 90 and not be able to transition anyone into their position, then that that's a great way to ensure that that happens. All right, that was a good response. I just picture myself being a 90-year-old reseller, being like, darn it, that must be why I'm in the spot that I'm in. I didn't, didn't create those systems. Um, Thomas, can you talk about, uh, you know, do you agree with that as well in terms of you're in the middle of the transition? You mentioned ownership thinking, traction. Those books are all about having systems. Can you talk about what systems are important to your organization? What would you recommend other resellers? Yeah, um, so, I mean, we kind of came from, uh, a, a process of like you know a lot of our processes and procedures are really old so being in 76 a lot of our stuff when i came on board either it wasn't very clear or it was really outdated um, as in it was talking about more cash registers as opposed to modern systems so things kind of changed quite a bit um, so we really struggled on um, trying to get our policies and procedures exactly how we wanted it to so it wasn't a short and easy process. It was a long and difficult process of making that happen. And I can tell you, it's absolutely worth it. Um, you know, it's just something that you kind of have to work on on a regular basis. Even once you get them done, I mean, in my opinion, I think that it's something you should re be revisiting on a regular basis. Um, nobody wants to do it. Kind of get grunts and groans out of the team whenever it's like, time to review procedures. But it's it's what helps us stay focused on the changes that are happening and staying relevant. Um, it's just, you know, what you did yesterday is not always gonna be the same thing you're gonna to do tomorrow. Um, but a lot of the, uh, the processes that we have, um, you know, we're really big on communications and utilizing the technologies that work for us. Um, so we, we try to, to get away from having legacy systems in-house and go into the cloud. Um, that way we can be more agile, mobile, in how we do our work and communicate with our customers. And some of that took some some doing as well. Um, you know, even nowadays we're tr still trying to uh, bring in modern communications methods with our customers, like text messaging. Um, it was something policies and procedurally speaking, we uh, we still have it on our books as we don't do that, but we're trying to accommodate that because it seems to be the the thing to do nowadays. Um, you know, it's that whole aspect of change. You kind of have to adapt. To it, but um, you know, we uh, we use um, Office 365 for a lot of our your email and project management. We've kind of played a, a bit with our project management quite a bit. Um, for CRM and website, we're using a product called HubSpot, which is really really great. Um, I recommend that to everybody, even if you think you don't have the budget for it. HubSpot will pay for itself. I guarantee it. Well, maybe not exactly guarantee it. Um, <laughs> we also use a product called oh, e for your money for, back. Uh, Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, sorry. I'm in sales mode. Um, we automate <laughs> our, our co automatic contract billing. So, you know, it, it automatically bills out our contracts. We're not having to chase down customers for payment. Um, for a small business, these types of um, the right software and products really kind of function as an employee for us. So instead of us trying to hire out more people, we're, we're trying to do it smarter and have these softwares really kind of act like that person um, for us. Um, so we're, we're always looking for new efficiencies and we're hoping that we're going to get some more insight of, out of, you know, software um, and ways that we can do things better at retail now. Um, me personally for retail now um, is just like the Super Bowl for us 
as far as being able to learn and get education. Um, I really, I know you're on RSPA, Jim. I would like to have more than one retail now a year. I mean, that's my opinion. It's that valuable to me. I want more. I, I, I love to hear that. I'll take that up with John Kirk and see uh, see how he feels about that. But yeah, there, there's more, the more data, the, the better you're going to become because the knowledge uh, comes before the skills. And just a little bit of advice for you. If you said people don't like changing procedures, combine it with the barbecue and then maybe it'll get a little bit better uh, at that point when they know they're going to have some barbecue with it. Um, but Thomas, I like that you shared some specific software that you use to help from a system standpoint. Blake, are you willing to share some of those uh, in terms of internal software that you use, like Thomas talked about, e-automate, HubSpot, things like that. Can you share with us things that make sure that your organization runs effectively and efficiently? Uh, yes, so we have a CRM that basically everything goes through. Uh, we can handle marketing, we can handle our quoting, uh, service orders, all the way down to final invoicing. Uh, so we, we also rely heavily on some software products um, we also work with a lot of uh, partners where we have certain remote control agents that we use. And uh, we've also developed quite a few proprietary uh, support tools in-house. And so we, we do, we rely heavily on, on a lot of software packages. And, uh, but did want to turn back to the, uh, the systems piece of it. You know, I, I, did, I want to make sure that people understand that you, you can have these systems and the processes, procedures, without the micromanagement. I would almost set those up as if they're almost like the rules of the road. Everyone knows you go at a, you know, you go at a green light, you stop at a red light. You're supposed to, well, for the most part, try your best to stay in between the lines, in your lane, use a turn signal. You know, it helps keep things running smoothly you know bill may not drive the same way as jill but they both kind of know what they are supposed to do and uh, from a company standpoint especially from a liability standpoint having those processes in place are very important i don't think uh, a lot of people understand how much having those written processes uh, affect um, how a claim if they were to make an insurance claim uh, would be handled but um, it's, it's smart to set the guidelines, let people know their boundaries, but let them operate within those boundaries and give them a little freedom at the same time. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Uh, that is Jim, a wonderful one. Yeah, go ahead, Thomas. Um, so, you know, having uh, those policies and procedures readily available to people, uh, we use the uh, SharePoint aspect of Office 365. So we've got those documents published up there, but. As a team, we can edit and update those control changes, but everybody can see those live in real time, and that's really the repository for where those things are. So instead of having to have a manual copy that you're publishing and floating around to individual team members, they can always get the latest, greatest version up there in case something has changed. Um, and that, that's kind of one of the things that has made us a little bit better. Before we had that document management, there was a version floating over here and somebody may have not had the right version. And then, you know, this has really kind of brought us all into one page. So that was critical for us. No, good point. I was actually just talking to one of my coworkers inside the RSPA about version control, how you have to make sure you're operating with the latest information because if you have multiple versions out there, you just create confusion. You don't have any system. You just have people scratching their head. Is this the latest or, or not? So, uh, before I move on to my next question, uh, Blake, I really like your analogy about uh, the traffic signals and the lanes in terms of can you, if you don't have systems and controls inside your organization, it would be like if we had no lines painted on the roads and no uh, traffic signs or traffic lights, like that's what it would be, everybody figuring out all the way through. So if you want your business to really run efficiently, you've got to set up those guidelines or else you're going to have, you know, smash up derby and people just driving all over the place and, uh, you know, cutting through corners, driving on grass. So really like that, thank you. So, but we've got a few minutes left. I have just a couple more questions for you. Um, and so Thomas, if you can take this one first, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing right now during your leadership transition? I'm gonna say time. Um, you know, I feel the, the pressure of having to push a lot of balls forward constantly, a lot of different tasks. Um, I think at some point in the past, I, I had the luxury of being able to take one specific project and keep moving it forward until it was completed but that mentality for me just i can't do that anymore uh, at least not during the business week um, 
I kind of like being able to come into work on the weekends so because I can focus on one thing, it's kind of my own time. Um, but um, I think the other part is, you know, um, having somebody ask me questions and not really having the time to help them out with it. Um, I've kind of tried to get into more prior prioritizing my time um, to really focus on things that are really critical for the grand scheme of things like the team or the customer. And really, the customer is really kind of what it boils down to. Um, so that, that's, that's the biggest thing is having time. If I had enough time, I would, I would help everybody and everything that I could. And that's just kind of my nature. But um, I've yeah. been using something called an Eisenhower chart recently. And um, it's that. do first, schedule, delegate, and don't do. And um, I've had a real problem with the don't do bucket. Um, so that, that's probably the thing that I have the biggest problem with is just time. Uh, I just feel like I never have enough time anymore. Got it. Blake, same question, but past tense. What was your biggest challenge during your leadership transition? I think my biggest challenge was actually to get out of my own head. So I, I was my own worst enemy. Of course, you know, in any leadership role, you have to be confident, you know, present that confidence outwards. And, and I felt like I did. But inside, I was sitting there, you know, was I, was I too tough? Was I not tough enough? Did I, you know, what would Jim have done? I've never seen this before. Did I make the right decision? You know, and I would go home after work and, you know, I'd replay the day in my head. And, you know, what could I have done different? You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the hardest part, I think, was starting to become more comfortable in that level of decision making. And, you know, know that there's not just one right way to you know, solve any particular problem. And I think that that was my biggest thing was to just, you know, get comfortable making those sorts of decisions and understanding that, you know, it, it, it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to, uh, you know, say that you are wrong. And I'll tell you what, a team really responds well to, uh, you know, let's say you set a course, ends up being the wrong course, Admit that to the team, tell them we're going this way instead and have confidence in this other, and they'll move with you, you know? It, it, it's really, my biggest challenge was just getting out of here. Right, and you're, uh, and you're facing a higher degree of difficulty. I still remember the Barack Obama quote where, you know, he said, if it was easy, it would have been solved before it got to the president's desk. And so the more difficult to solve things, and when you have that cadence, of nothing that's easy to solve. Yeah, it can, it can certainly be a challenge. And so well, one of my last questions kind of ties in with that. And it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable question, but um, it was something that uh, bothered me when I had transitioned. I had gone from uh, back at Jamison Publishing, managing editor ops manager, and then uh, president general manager. And so I had this in the back of my mind, and this was back in 2006, 2007. I thought, I'm gonna be the guy who runs this thing into the ground. Right. Like it's been growing and growing, and growing since 1980. I'm going to be the person who just ditches it. Um, and so but at that time, we moved into a new office. I remember they came. We had a press release and they wanted to do some pictures. They wanted me to stand in front. And I'm like, Ugh. I remember all the Enron guys, you know, standing in front. And then all that thing went backwards. Well, so 2007 and 2008, the, the Great Recession hits for two years. Our sales are going backwards. And I'm like, Yep, I knew it was going to happen. So I'm curious, and whoever wants to take this first, do you feel that way to any degree? Do you feel the weight of the company on your shoulders of like, I've got to make sure I perform or this thing's, you know, going to run into a wall as opposed to if you don't hit your sales number, that's one thing, or you might get fired, but you got the weight of the whole organization. I don't know who wants to take that first. Well, I'll jump in there. Uh I'll be honest, I think if you don't feel that at one point, you're either not human or you don't really respect or understand the job that's been asked of you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say that having a great team really helps, um, but really it's it, it's a real thing. And I think a lot of people have a uh, hard time trying to digest that. But, uh, you know, in particular, we have a family business, uh, much like Thomas and I mean, we're, we're three generations in, uh, to be the one, uh, to drive that to ground. Yeah, that's, that's, that's scary. But again, uh, I'll tell you, we've got a team of uh, 46 people here who are just fantastic. Uh, that teamwork mentality I talked about earlier, uh, really gives you a lot of relief because, uh, we don't just face 
challenges where, oh, that's a that's a low level problem. That's a high level problem. You know, we all come up with ideas and and you got to be open to listen. You know, there are people from anybody in your organization, you know, somebody in the trenches, tier one entry level service that may have a bit of advice that really gets you out of a pickle. So uh, just be open to listen. And yeah, you're you're going to face that, I think. Got it. Thomas, your take on this. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the weight on my shoulders. Um, I, I think for me, it's it's really the fear of the future um, and what that's going to hold for us. Um, you know, um, some of the things that we've run across in the future, um, you know, we came out of RSPA was, you know, credit card processing. That was a big thing for us. If we didn't do that. We Our doors would have been closed a long time ago. Um, so coming for, out of lessons like that, we're like, wow, you know, what's, what's next um so that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night and um you know it's a small business and you know, our team's really close i mean we're we're like i said you know that family type of thing and so I, i'm i'm concerned for them you know so that pressure is there not just from a business aspect of of that but it's like you know these people have their own families you know and part of where i'm steering the ship is that it's you know if something wrong happens you know it's going to affect them in a lot of more ways than just this so yeah exponentially <laughs> a lot more pressure yeah, you're you're not in a spot where you guys are looking to flip your company right like there's some people they jump on board they build a thing up they're trying to improve the stock value or the value of the business they sell it off and they go and uh go hang out on the beach like you guys are not in that spot like you said you not only have the current team you have like generations uh that are again i don't want to say haunting you but that's some additional pressure and i think a lot of resellers face that because a lot of them are family-owned businesses Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, right, I do have to industry, oh, go ahead, Blake. Oh, I was going to say the end, you know, now is a very interesting time to, uh, you know, transition people into a leadership role because the industry is changing now faster than, you know, I, I think ever before. You have uh, more mergers and acquisitions, uh, more products that historically used to be the way we made money, you know, more capital expenditures. We knew how to sell that way. Now everything's reoccurring. You're making shifts in ways that, you know, we're facing challenges we never had to face before. So I think uh, much to what Thomas had said is, you know, planning for the future, uh, that, that's another another uh, challenge that I think we're all gonna have to, uh, to overcome. Um, but I do think it's possible. I think we're gonna see some people move from, uh, you know, bars are gonna start transitioning more into the these ISV hybrids, uh, you know, MSP, more involved with that i i think we're we're going to see an evolution of the bar and uh, i think we're all going to make it we're going to be just fine good well thank you for steering that back because i'm thinking i don't want to have them you know i have one more question to ask it'd be like well the weight of the world's on your shoulder don't running into the ground all right that's all we have for today like <laughs> people be sobbing you know looking i don't want to transition or leadership role if that's what it's all about uh so let's end on this note we'll, we'll continue on the positive note that, that blake just brought up and so my last question, Thomas, you first, and then Blake, um, we asked this of all our guests. Can you recommend for our audience a book to read, an online resource to follow, or a podcast to listen to? They're going to help them improve. And for you specifically, if you can share something that will help them improve their culture, help them with a leadership transition, anything like that. So Thomas and then Blake, please. Um, I, I would say the same tools that Lynn brought to us so many years ago, um, ownership thinking and traction, just that EOS system in the traction realm. Uh, it really kind of set the stage for making sure that we've got the right people, system, and processes in place. I'm going to sound like I'm quoting those books here in a second. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a long journey, but those fundamentals are really going to get you in a good place if you have a team member who wants it, gets it, and has the capacity to do it. Um, and so one of the things that uh, first things Lynn told me in the changeover process was that we I needed an exit strategy and start thinking about it now. Um, so those books are, are, are just like, the fundamentals for us. Um, it's really kind of the fountainhead, the, you know, my two go-to books. But um, outside of that, I wouldn't embarrass you, Jim. I think that people should be uh, following you and reading more of your stuff. You've got your Roddy reading list, um, as I call it. <laughs> um, I certainly can't read as many books as you do, but um, I try to. I, it's just something that's like I need to try and, and get as many of those books in as possible. And then really just being a member of RSPA and being involved and 
listening to people at RSPA. Um, whenever I'm at retail now, I'm kind of in sponge mode. I try not to talk as much. I'm just trying to like bring all that knowledge back um, because it's 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 like I said, it's our Super Bowl. Well, John Kirk will appreciate that one, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no doubt the old football coach will will appreciate that. So, well, thank you for those recommendations and thank you for the kind words. Uh, about the the RSPA, uh, Blake, what resources would you recommend? Um, I really like a book called Never Split the Difference: uh, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. Uh, make sure you get it. Use referral code Blake. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> he's a uh, one of the best hostage negotiators uh, I think in the country, and he transitioned from that into a uh, more business consulting role. Went to some top universities and figured out, hey, whoa, this worked there. This works really well everywhere. And so, you know, he has tactics to help forge better relationships with your team, you know, understand how they value time, uh, you know, their silence, relationship. They, how do they like surprises? Um, how to say no to bad deals? Uh, you know, don't ever give something without getting something back and how to do that in a way where it doesn't feel uh, Odd, you know how to how to recover angry customers, you know, who think that you failed them and get them back to you. How to trust you again, and it's just a really really good read. Uh, I highly recommend it. Great. So that's ownership thinking, traction, and then never split the difference. All right. So three uh, good books, and we will definitely check those out. And so uh, to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy, the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point of sale channel, you can check out the RSP blog, which Thomas alluded to. You can find it at www.goRSPA.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks very much again to Blake and Thomas for sharing their wisdom with us today. Gentlemen, that was outstanding. Uh, also, thanks to RSPA Marcom manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.